Thank you, Brother Walter, for ministering to our hearts in song. What a privilege it is to open our scriptures again this morning and have our pastor, shepherd, teacher uh, instruct us from the Word of God. Would you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22? Matthew chapter 22, we're looking at verse 15, Matthew 22, verse 15 through 22. Follow as I read this portion of scripture. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. This is God's powerful, holy, and penetrating word. What do people want in their leaders? I submit to you that one thing that is very important that people want in their leaders is they want their leaders to be true, genuine, authentic, real. We want our leaders to be in public what they are in private. In short, We want our leaders to be people of integrity. This morning, we are going to see a stark contrast between the lack of integrity in the Pharisees and the supreme example of integrity in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as we look at this passage, I'm going to be focusing on lessons to be learned from Jesus' integrity. Lessons to be learned from Jesus' integrity. Those lessons will come at the end of the message. But first, we notice that Jesus acted with integrity even when others did not. Jesus acted with integrity even when those around him were not acting with integrity. Notice with me Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. It tells us that then, that was after the parable that we looked at last week, then the Pharisees went out and plotted how to entangle him in his words. The Pharisees and Herodians were not acting with integrity when they came to Jesus. They were actually scheming against Jesus. Verse 15 tells us that they were plotting against him. 
When they were questioning Jesus, they were not seeking truth or a better understanding of the scriptures. Instead, they were setting a trap for Jesus. Notice the end of verse 15. They plotted how to entangle him in their words. How to ensnare him in a trap. Jesus knew that they were not acting with integrity. He knew that they were motivated out of a desire to do him harm. Notice verse 18. But Jesus, aware of their malice, he knew that they were up to no good. He knew that they were acting in accordance with their hatred for him. They were acting out of malice when they asked him this question. Jesus knew that the question they asked was meant to be nothing more than a test. That is a means of bringing Jesus down. Notice verse 18. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test? Why are you creating a situation designed to make me fail? Why are you doing this? He was very much aware of their insincerity. And not only was he aware of it, but Jesus confronted them concerning it and exposed it to the crowd. Notice verse 18. Why put me to the test now these words, you hypocrites? Jesus confronted his questioners by calling them hypocrites. And he exposed them to the crowd by addressing him in this way publicly. Jesus publicly declared that they were hypocrites. A hypocrite literally is a person who is masked. M-A-S-K-E-D, masked. You think of uh, the symbols for theatrics, and you may uh, uh, know that there's a, a smiling mask for comedies, and there is a frowning mask for dramas, the uh, symbols for the theater. Well, in ancient days, many times the actors wore masks. They were playing a part, and they wore a mask to convey the essence of that particular character. Well, here, Jesus is saying, why are you masked? Why are you a hypocrite? Why are you two-faced? Why are you saying one thing and doing another? You're acting like sincere questioners when I know that you're up to no good. You're up to malice. You're up to harm. You want to do me in. They were feigning their sincerity, their religious piety. However, the Pharisees' lack of integrity did not serve as a reason for Jesus to respond with a lack of integrity on his part. He maintained his integrity when others did not. There's an important lesson for us. For we are surrounded in society with people who do not have integrity. People are going to disappoint us. Religious leaders fail us. Co-workers may want to discredit us or shame us. People may actually scheme and plot our demise. They want us to fail. A co-worker may set you up 
an enemy may ask you a question before others in order to embarrass you, in order to shame you. You are going to encounter a lack of integrity on all sides. But no matter what we face and experience from others, we are to maintain our integrity. We remain, remain faithful to God. We are to continue to do the right thing. We're to respond in an appropriate manner. Jesus maintained his integrity even when surrounded with people of no integrity. Secondly, Jesus was well known for his integrity. The people knew that Jesus was a person of integrity. The questioners spoke of Jesus' integrity. Notice verse 16. And they sent their disciples. This is the plot. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully and you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by their appearances. I'm looking at this first phrase in the middle of the verse where it says, Teacher, we know that you are true. NIV translates that, we know that you are a man of integrity. Good translation. We know that you are a man of integrity. To address Jesus in this manner would have the crowd's approval, for the crowds believed that Jesus was a man of integrity. That did not shock the crowds. That's what they expected. These false questioners came to Jesus And their preface is, Jesus, we know that you are a man of integrity. Now notice how they describe that integrity. They said that Jesus taught the word of God accurately. Verse 16, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. We know that you are true and teach the word of God truthfully. He taught it accurately. What Jesus taught from the word of God was true. That is, that when Jesus taught, he taught in keeping with the scripture's intent and meaning. He didn't distort the scriptures. He did not alter the scriptures. He did not misuse the scriptures. He did not take them out of context. He didn't manipulate the scriptures to make them say what he wanted to say. He was a person of integrity. What the scriptures meant to say, he said. And he interpreted them accurately. But not only was he handling the word of God accurately, but he was also teaching the word of God faithfully. Notice the end of verse 16. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by their appearances. At IV, you are swayed by, you are not swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. They, are. they were asserting that Jesus did not tailor his message to his audience, but he was being faithful. He was not like the politicians who try to say 
some things that will please the certain group of people that they are addressing at the time. Having one message for the voters in New Hampshire and another message for the voters in South Carolina. Jesus was faithful. He did not look at his audience in order to determine what his position was going to be. He said what was true, no matter who there was to hear it. And that was why this was such an interesting test. Because standing before him were two groups of people. They were the Herodians and they were the Pharisees. The Herodians were Jewish people who demonstrated and taught allegiance to Herod and the Roman Empire. Thus, the term Herodians. The Pharisees were people that said that we should not be faithful to the Roman Empire, but should be faithful to God. And the great burning question of the day was whether or not a good believing Jew ought to pay taxes to Rome. The audience said they should. The Pharisees said they shouldn't. And so they come to Jesus and say to him, what do you say? Knowing that there are people there that want him to say, don't pay taxes, and people there who want him to say, do pay taxes. They were looking for very different answers from Jesus, but the bottom line is that both groups were insincere. Neither one of them were looking for truth. Neither one of them were looking for guidance. Neither one of them were really debating in their own heart and mind what was the right thing to do. They were looking at a way of bringing Jesus down. Even the way that many commentators interview the politicians, trying to come up with questions that are going to bring them down, that are going to show their inconsistencies, that are going to reveal their faults. So they were baiting Jesus. Their words were intended to flatter Jesus and thus endear themselves to Jesus. These statements of Jesus' integrity from their lips was flattery. Telling him what he would want to hear. The greatest praise that they could give to Jesus, they knew, was to say that he was a person of integrity. He would prize that far more than anything else. They weren't going to talk about his accomplishments. They didn't talk about his stature. They didn't talk about his eloquence. They came declaring him to be a person of integrity. And they knew that what he cared about the most was preaching the word of God accurately and faithfully. And so they claimed they came flattering Jesus, buttering him up, getting him ready to fall into their trap. But there was a kernel of truth in what they said. You know, it's like sarcasm. When somebody says a sarcastic remark, 
that's very cutting, and they'll look at you and say, I'm only kidding? Well, maybe they're kidding, but there's an element of truth in that. There's an element of what is real. These Herodians and these Pharisees knew that Jesus was a person of integrity. And that's demonstrated in three ways. First, the manner of the test. The manner of the test. You see, they didn't go out and hire prostitutes to seduce Jesus. To seduce Jesus. Women of the night, they were not above that. It's simply that they knew that wouldn't work. Jesus wouldn't fall for that. Jesus was a person of integrity. He wasn't going to enter into an illicit relationship with a prostitute. Second, the test was not like that of Judas. They were going to pay Judas to betray Jesus. In fact, this very afternoon, they're going to enter into a a relationship with Judas in which he's going to be paid 30 pieces of silver in order to hand Jesus over. They knew they couldn't pay Jesus off. That they could keep him from teaching the truth of God's word by paying him because he's a person of integrity. He couldn't be bought. They knew that if they were going to find fault with Jesus, it would have to be. It would have to be in his zealous commitment to God and his word. We're reminded of the story of Daniel. Remember Daniel in the Old Testament? Daniel rises to a place of great prominence in Babylon. He's taken as a slave, conquered, rises to a great position of great authority. And the Babylonian rulers envied Daniel's position, and they wanted to bring him down. Now listen to these words. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit, and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption. They examined, they looked into his background, they tried to look into every business dealing, and they couldn't find any area of corruption in Daniel's life. Inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of God. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of God. If we're going to bring Daniel down, it's going to have to be in the area of his commitment to God. They looked at Jesus and they said, if we're going to bring Jesus down, it's going to have to be in his commitment to the word of God. Because in his commitment, he's going to put that before the Roman government. He's going to put that before what people think. He's going to put that before his own well-being. 
He's going to be true and faithful no matter what the consequences and outcome is. That's why it was such a good, good question. That's why they thought they had him. If he says pay taxes, then they're going to question him on his commitment to the scriptures. If he says don't pay taxes, then they're going to accuse him of treason against the Roman government. Application? Wouldn't it be wonderful if people wanted to find a fault with us that the only way they could find fault is in our commitment to Jesus Christ? No corruption. They couldn't point to some failure, moral failure in our lives, lying, and our conduct with the opposite sex that if someone wanted to find fault with us, it would have to be in our zeal for God. What wonderful testimony that is. If they wanted to tempt us, they would have to use our devotion against us. Third, we want to see that Jesus responded to the test with integrity. He responded to the test with integrity. Notice, starting in verse 17. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus was aware of their malice and said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. They thought they had the perfect trap. They knew that Jesus would not dodge the question. So whatever Jesus would give them, they thought they could use it against him. The real question that was at stake is in the word, and notice in verse 17. Tell us then what you think. Is it, key word, lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? That's the key. Is it lawful? And they're using the word lawful as a play on words. Is it lawful in, re- in reference to the Roman government? And is it lawful in relationship to the law of God? They were pitting the law of Rome over against the law of God. Jesus responded by teaching the Word of God with integrity. First, he taught the Word of God accurately. Accurately. Jesus taught that there was no contradiction in the paying of taxes and in obeying God. There was no contradiction in this allegiance to the Roman government and to the law of God. He taught the word of God accurately. Turn with me to Romans chapter 13. This, of course, did not yet exist. Uh, Jesus couldn't cite Romans. Romans hadn't been written. Paul had not even been converted. And yet, what Jesus taught is consistent with Romans chapter 13. 
It's consistent with what the Word of God says. Now, notice verse 1. Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Jesus responded accurately. He said, pay the taxes. And he said, render your service to God. They are not incompatible. There was nothing that was inconsistent with the word of God. Jesus, indeed, was a person of integrity. But he also taught the word of God faithfully because he was a person of integrity. He faithfully declared the word of God. He was not like the politician. He didn't dodge the subject. He didn't change the subject. Have you ever been frustrated and you listen to the political answers that here is this question that is raised and then you got this answer that has nothing to do with the question that was raised? This answer wasn't clever. This answer wasn't shrewd. This answer wasn't meant to obscure. It was an accurate and it was a faithful answer. Neither group was happy with the answer. For the Pharisees heard they were to pay taxes. And the Rodians heard that they were to be faithful to God in all of this. And so he ended up pleasing nobody. And yet no one could use this against him either. And so they just went away quietly, silently. But we shouldn't marvel at the shrewdness, for it was not shrewd. Or the cleverness, for it was not clever. It was truthfulness. And there is no answer to truthfulness. There is no answer when we have been accurate and we have been faithful. Jesus, indeed, was a person of integrity. 
They're amazed by Jesus' answer. Notice verse 22. When they heard it, they marveled. Jesus' answer was marvelous because it was revealing. Revealing in a number of ways. Jesus' answer was revealing of their hypocrisy. Jesus revealed their hearts. When they were convicted, they did not repent. They simply went away, verse 22, and they left him and went away. His answer had no real impact on them because they weren't seeking the truth. They just said, wow, that that was a pretty good answer. But they did not repent. His answer revealed the truth of God. For all who were gathered there who sincerely did wrestle with this very question. You see, it wasn't a question taken out of the blue. It was a relevant question. It was a pertinent question. It was one that was hotly debated among Jewish people. That's what made it so good. There were people there, not the Herodians and not these Pharisees, but there were people in this crowd, he's in the temple, who really are wondering, when this question is raised, what should we do? And they heard the truth. And they were instructed. And they were benefited. And they were helped. And they knew now what they should do. His answer was revealing. It helped others. When we are true and faithful in our response to people's questions, we help those who, even when the question is raised insincerely, there are other people in the midst who hear the truth. The person who raises the question at the water cooler just to embarrass you or shame you, but when you answer accurately and faithfully, the other people in the water co- around the water cooler are benefited. They're helped. They understand the truth. He remained true in teaching them accurately. He remained true in teaching them faithfully. So what are we to learn about people of integrity? First, may we be the kind of people that if someone is going to find fault with us, as I've said, let him find fault with us in our commitment to his word. May we understand that we live in a very difficult day and in an age in which people have a hard time understanding the proper relationship of commitment to human government and commitment to God's word. We live in a culture that really wonders, as a Christian, how do we put it together? There are issues of taxes. There are issues of same-sex marriage. There are issues of immigration. And Christians really do say, well, what position should we take? Where should our stand be? How should we respond to the homosexual community? And so on. There are sincere Questions. There are also a whole host of people who love to raise these questions only to divide, only to try to 
ensnare us, to entrap us, to get us to say something that is going to discredit us or shame us, or prove ourselves to be people of hate or people that are discriminatory, whatever the case may be. So it is important that we be people of integrity. Which means, first and foremost, that we teach the Word of God accurately. Painstakingly search the Scriptures to know what it says. So we don't just please people on either side of that spectrum. People that want us to come down hard or people that want us to be extremely loving and kind and gracious. There are people who want us to take every position under the sun. We need to be people of integrity. And that means handling the word of God accurately. Whether formally or informally. Whether in a Sunday school class or riding in a car and your passenger flippantly asks you a question about something in the political scene or in society. We must answer accurately. When people talk about divorce, when people are talking about the hardships in their family, when people are talking about the things that they're going through, we have to be people of integrity, which means we handle the word of God accurately. Some people raise questions insincerely, trying to disprove the scriptures or undermine our faith. They are dishonest, manipulative, and cunning. Sometimes they twist the scriptures in order to use it against us. But again, just because other people act with a lack of integrity doesn't excuse us. Even though there are many who lack integrity and twist and abuse the scriptures, we can't be like them. We must be people of integrity. We must remain calm, we must remain gracious, and we must speak the truth in love. For some in our hearing really do want to know what the Bible says. For there are people that really don't know what is the proper Christian perspective. They really don't. They are so confused. They go to the Christian bookstore and they can find a book that advocates or is against everything. And they're pulling out their hair. And they're ready to throw up their arms. We really do need to know what the Word of God teaches. And declare it accurately, fully, lovingly, graciously, Truthfully, especially in this area of submitting to human government and submitting to God. What does that look like in our missionary endeavors? What does that look like in our social practices? What does that look like in our workplace? What does that look like in our church, in the use of our facilities, and in so many other things? What is the biblical answer? 
That's what we must know and that's what we must adhere to as people of integrity. Not caring about what people think or how it may come across, but being accurate. Being accurate, being true. And then we must be people of integrity by handling the word of God faithfully. Faithfully. That is, in every situation, we respond as we should. Even in situations where traps are being set. Even in situations where people are just trying to undermine us, we're still faithful to what God's word says. We must remain faithful. Speaking openly and forthrightly of what the Bible says to our generation in the many social ills that we encounter. That means tomorrow when you go to the workplace, that means when the opinions flow, when the conversations enter, when people are talking about the debates, when people are talking about the political spectrum, when people are talking about homosexuality, when they're talking about all these things, it means at that moment and that time, what you say is accurate to the word of God and you are faithful in speaking up. And if you are accurate, and if you are faithful, people will marvel because the word of God is an incredible book. It really has solutions. It really has answers. It really does take into consideration things that we don't normally think about in these struggles. The problem is that the church, Christians, give overly simplistic answers to very complex questions. Answers that are not well thought through. Answers that many times aren't biblical, but are Christianized prejudices. And said with such vehemence and such anger and such hatred or whatever that it just totally does not reflect the person of Christ. He didn't get angry. He didn't threaten. He spoke accurately and faithfully. Jesus is going to the cross. Three more days, he's going to die. He died as a sinless human being on that cross, for he was a person of integrity. He did not sin in any area, including in this test. May we be people of integrity in every area of our lives. May we struggle to be morally pure. May we fight to be honest. People who aren't corrupted. People who are seeking to obey the word of God in every facet of our lives. May we be people of complete integrity. Not privatizing our faith. Not just being Christian in one aspect of our lives. Not just on Sundays. Not just publicly, but privately, in our own viewing habits, 
in our own thoughts, in our own meditations, in our own agendas. May we be people of integrity. May we be accurate in teaching even our five-year-old children, teaching them correctly the Word of God so they don't have to unlearn what they are learning when they are five. May we say what is true and accurate even to our Christian friend who may not agree with us because they don't agree with the Bible. May we be accurate. May we be faithful. Faithful. Again, not with malice, not with anger, but in meekness and lowliness. May we just carefully respond with this is what the word of God says. Will it convert everybody? No, it didn't convert these Herodians and Pharisees, but they marveled. They marveled. They thought about it. And those that really did want to know, that crowd heard the truth. And people will hear the truth from us. Let us be people of integrity. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his integrity. Lord, we we are thankful that those who knew him best knew that there was nothing that they were going to be able to pin upon Jesus. There was no fault that they are going to be able to find in him except if it be in regard to his commitment to the scriptures, commitment to his faithfulness to God. For they knew that he would put his faithfulness to you and to the scriptures above pleasing others, above trying to fit in, above reflecting the norms of their society, and even above his own well-being. But he's going to be faithful, he's going to be true. Oh Lord, help us to be a people that really reflect the person of the Lord Jesus in all things. Lord, help us to be above reproach. Lord, we know that we are sinful. We know we are not that, but may we struggle to be so. May we try to live consistent in every area of our life. May we not departmentalize our faith. May we not be concerned only about one thing. But, oh Lord, may we do all that the Word of God teaches us, positively in fulfilling the law and negatively in not breaking the law. And, oh Lord, just help us to be, to be, to be people of integrity with respect to your Word, painstakingly handling it accurately, as these Pharisees did not as they had developed an understanding that was widely held. Sounded good, as though they were so committed to God that they would not pay these taxes. Lord, we live in a society where there are some people, even now, saying we shouldn't pay taxes if we're Christians. Oh, Lord, help us to know what the Word of God says about everything. And, Lord, we can't. We know that. So help us better understand. Help us better approach these things. And Lord, help us to be faithful. 
Not to be silent. Not allowing ourselves to be silenced. But Lord, when asked, may we respond. Kindly, graciously, but yet, Lord, with integrity. Thank you for the example of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for that integrity that has saved us in our lack of integrity. Thank you that you forgive us all of our sins in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We praise and honor him. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.